I'm now going to invite uh, Cosmos back to the podium. Uh, remember that the topic is where did the nuclear industry go wrong? I'm going to ask you to keep your comments brief if you don't mind. Limit yourself to two questions. Uh, not necessarily at the same time. You can always come back to the microphone. We have an extra microphone here that I'd ask you to, re to use uh, for the audio, for the for the website. So uh, with that, uh, let's see. Yes, please, if you have a question, come to the front, use the mic. Uh, yes? Oh, the mic's down there. Thank you. Thanks, Newt. And I guess I'm asked to remind you, no questions from the floor, please. In other words, move to the mic rather than stand up and shout from your table. Uh, also, I'm uh, reminded that if audience questions are sluggish, uh, I'm presuming that means that they're not coming, uh, I'm to provide a question. But I'm sure that won't be required. Uh, so I invite the first questioner to the microphone. And, Newt, have you got the first question? I want to invite you two to please... Um, State your name and then ask your question briefly. Thank you. Hi, Cosmos. <clears throat> Thanks for coming. Uh, Cosmos, I'm wondering about the situation in Japan. I understand that uh, most of the nuclear plants have actually not in operation anymore. Is that uh, correct? And, and, and why is that? Why have they shut? How, how can they maintain the electrical capacity if they've shut down almost all the nuclear plants? Well, before asking your question, can I finish my, my dessert? <laughs> okay. Well, in Japan, they have closed those plants down. But I, 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 20, half an hour is not enough to, to explain everything. But when the accident took place, 200 people run into a nuclear plant in another one and save themselves, and uh, while 20,000 people die around them. So, uh, yeah, Japanese have closed the plants, and they have done the right thing. They want to assess whether the situation is ripe. There are also political reasons where the people have to... There is so much phobia there right now that the last thing they want is to open, the, to start up the plants. But it is a question of rational and irrational phobia. The phobia is irrational right now, and you can't blame the people for feeling that way. Um, politicians have to make a decision, um, but also uh, economists have to make a decision, because by shutting down the plants, Japan had to pay $50 billion last year in imports of fuels to run the oil, pl to run uh, diesel plants to make up, and uh, to make up, and they have offered contracts for something like $12, four times no, five times to what the gas costs here for gas companies have got contracts here in Canada and the U.S. to deliver uh, gas to Japan for this reason. But it can't last for very long. It is highly uneconomical and highly unreasonable. They have made a tremendous investment. They have had a very good record on the nuclear plant, the operation. They were a little bit sloppy in the preparation for accidents and so forth, communications, but the plants are working very fine. Uh, out of three pla one plant that was damaged, 
with three reactors, there are dozens around in the same area that survive, and uh, they, they are perfectly good plants to operate electricity. So my guess would be that within a year those plants will be working. It will take a year to build higher walls to make sure some tsunami doesn't hit, uh, overpower them, do some changes. The industry has learned itself also from that accident, and um, I think they will start them up. My name is James Moore. Kalimera Kerferesto Cosmos. I would like one point of clarification before my question, if that's okay. Sure. In your report, um, the, you, 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 I, you seem to be saying that there needs to be a more business culture model to help the communication in terms of. Uh, Cost, benefit, profit, risk analysis, uh, good calculation. Is that correct? No, that's not what I mean. Business culture does not include only profit. That also is a part of the business culture. But if you look at the table of the business culture, there's practical thinking. And that's what I like to get out of the business part, the practical thinking. Don't kill a person in order to save him. Okay. I I just want to... expand on that point, then I, I think I, I see what you're saying, but my point is that um, you know, the insurance industry is a very practical industry and they've been doing this for hundreds of years and they're very good at risk analysis and actuarial calculation. And in 1957, both Westinghouse and General Electric, who were the manufacturers of nuclear power, refused to build any in the United States unless the government of the United States took responsibility and liability for those nuclear power plants. This system still exists today. If the nuclear power plants are as safe as you think they are, then why would a practical uh, insurance company uh, versed in risk analysis not want to insure them and take the profit from their analysis to themselves? Why are all nuclear plants on Earth why is the liability devolved to the public purse where the profits go to the private purse? Okay. Why won't insurance companies who are practical, business-minded, insure nuclear power plants if they're so safe? Surely the insurance companies would be able to figure that out, don't you think? Well, if the nuclear industry cannot calculate the risk, I doubt it that insurance companies can calculate it any better. But uh, that's one point. But you've got to realize we're talking a huge... Because the industry kept going bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger power plants. And as a result, the costs involved are enormous, bigger than what the utilities, some utilities might be worth. So the, because of the size of the, of the cost, that's what scares people. Like if, 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 if an insurance company had to pay in order to make profit, the risk that they would be taking it's a risk and a, and a benefit. The, the risk of being bankrupt if a nuclear plant goes badly up, you, you, the, the insurance company will go bankrupt. So this is essentially... So it is much easier for the, either to get smaller the plants because smaller plants are insurable. Bigger plants are not insurable. Uh, can I have a supplemental or should I... Supplemental. Go with your supplemental. Uh, so, but... The insurance companies will insure 
everything. Lloyd's of London will share anything. Like, like the, the risk must be too large for insurance companies to accept, and therefore the liability <coughs> for that risk goes on to the public. I think this is the question where you have to challenge the uh, accuracy of an industry that's been in, in existence for hundreds of years and whose purpose, practical purpose, is risk analysis, refusing to insure a yeah. risk that's too large. Well, and, and therefore, the premise that it's safe, I think, is refuted. Yeah, okay. I can, I can see your point. The, the issue here is the insurance industry has existed for thousands of years, but the nuclear industry has not really existed for more than 30 years, in a sense, for power plants. So it's an evolving industry. I'm sure if you had asked in the 1800s the insurance companies to insure an airplane, they would say, no way. But look at today. So it's an evolving technology. The knowledge increases and the confidence increases. If you don't have any evidence, like the only evidence I can provide you right now, it is the result from Chernobyl and from the Fukushima. Zero deaths in Fukushima from radiation, 20,000 from the tsunami and the earthquake. Chernobyl, 140 people. They forecast over a million people to die from radiation. It's 140 people die. And then we had 10,000 from fear and suicide. So, I mean, there have to be a few more accidents in order to have a statistical uh, analysis to prove it at that point. I have no other evidence for it. Uh, thanks for that retrospective, Cos. Mo. My name's Dwayne Pendergast. Uh, there is some late breaking news this morning. One of the big. Uh, carbon sequestration projects costing $1.4 billion has been cancelled by the companies that are involved in it. That's freeing up $800 million of uh, federal and provincial money. Do you think it would be a good idea to direct that money to uh, Premier Alice, Alison Redford's suggestion that we uh, develop a national energy policy? That, that would help. That would be a good idea because to do a proper analysis, I mean, not to stop throwing the dice and do a proper analysis, it will take money, people. Premier Redford, I've met her. She's a charming lady, and I think she will be a good premier. The pro she has been defined as a rocket. And the problem with rockets is you've got to aim them before they take off. Then they do the goal. So she needs to have good advisors. And her energy advisors are one-sided, only oilmen and political appointees. That's what worries me. Uh, Michael Bow. Uh, actually, I just want to make a point on the insurance. Uh, as an engineer myself, I know a lot of insurance companies will not insure things that they don't they, they don't know anything about. And, and they don't have nuclear engineers on their staff, uh, and I, I would think that the nuclear or the nuclear uh, industry is not a uh, very profitable one because, uh, you know, they're. I mean, I'm sure Lloyd's of London would insure almost anything, but you know, as long as you pay them, they might, I, I don't think it has anything to do with the the risk assessment. It's more so that they don't have the uh, uh, people or or know how to to assess that, and that's not their business model. Uh, and I've actually down at the wastewater plant have been refused uh, from uh, various uh, insurance companies 
uh, because they don't know wastewater. And uh, it, it just has, I think, more to deal with their business model than uh, anything to do with uh, safety. <clears throat> uh, my question, though, is um, reprocessing spent fuel. Uh, is there uh, been any moves in um, some of the uh, um, uh, facilities that you may be aware of uh, where they're looking at uh, reprocessing the spent fuel uh, to uh, also um, uh, lower the amount of waste, but also to be able to reuse uh, a lot of that uh, spent fuel? Well, this is another sore point of me with the nuclear industry a little bit. The term spent fuel is wrong. When we put uranium into the reactor and we take it out, all we have burned is 1% of it. The other 99% is good, burnable fuel. All it needs is to be clean and put back in the reactor and burn. But it is cheaper to mine fresh uranium and keep accumulating all that material. Now, yes, it can be reprocessed. The process is known. It has been done. It can be done. And I refuse to call it myself spent fuel. It's used fuel, the term that I like to use. And the remaining material out of that process is only 300 years. And it is something like 100th or maybe less or more about the volume of the existing fuel that we call spent fuel, hazardous, radioactive, and kill the world, and so forth. Nothing of that kind. It is nonsense. Thank Do I answer your question? Yes, yes. Thank you. And I'll use used fuel from now on. <laughs> next, <clears throat> next question, please. Trevor, you're number three. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm just wondering if there's not a bigger mistake that the nuclear industry made, and that was to, uh, I mean, it's something that's not very overt or obvious, but it's still, why, for example, did they not go to thorium reactors in in the very beginning rather than the reactors that pl produce weapons-grade plutonium? And that's even that sounds to me like a bigger mistake than what you're proposing. I couldn't agree with you more. You're right. Uh, the thorium reactor seems to be have his every every energy conversion system has its problems. Don't misunderstand that everything will come hunky dory. But the current civil nuclear power plants are an offshot of the bomb making uh, industry, and they've been well entrenched groups that try to support it now. There are some good parts that come out of it, like the fast breeder reactor, which doesn't release any plutonium, doesn't have any plutonium, and uses the uranium. And it, it is a perfectly good fuel, and it, it is just as good as thorium. So there are two good, uh, we have two good options, not as Lethbridge, but as humanity, and two good power plants that they can carry us on the long haul. But... Yes, you're absolutely right. That was, it was not a mistake, it was an offshot, but you're right. There is another, other possibilities. But in an evolving technology, you expect that these things will happen eventually. It is just, it hasn't scratched the surface of the potential of the industry. The technology, not the industry. <coughs> Thank you. Thank you for your talk. Bev Mundell Atherstone is my name. Um, I'm curious about the cumulative effects of radiation because as a child born after the war, um, growing up in California, one of, the, one of the ideas was that we would all wear a radiation badge. And the, the, this badge we would wear for life. And 
we, it would tell us the cumulative effects of radiation that we would be had been exposed to. So I realize you're not a biologist, but uh, is there is there you know you've talked about all the different uh, examples here of what we're exposed to. What about the cumulative effect, or does it just is it gone shortly after we're exposed? Okay, when you talk for a cumulative effect. You're talking about damage done to our body by radiation. I grew up in the same period that you used to wear the badges and recommended, so we're in the same boat on that. Um, I'm not a biologist, but I've done a little bit of reading on that issue. What is happening is the radiation exists everywhere, and it doesn't seem to accumulate because you have managed to survive. Like, we get quite a bit of radiation in this room as we stand right here. We get 66 bananas a day eating worth of radiation. Okay, so don't underestimate that. So, now, the radiation, all it will do is break the bond of the DNA. Sometimes in that, radi that radiation will emit it from the environment, whether it is emitted from our own bodies or from the air we breathe, we had some that happened to have reddening, or from water we drink that has whatever. It, it doesn't matter. It will break the bonds. It, they break bonds continuously. It's like millions a day they will break. But they recombine. Some of them, they turn around, they combine the wrong way, and they make mutations. When they do make a mutation, it seems that the immune system detects that and goes and kills that cell. So in that sense of biological sense, radiation does not accumulate because the damage is repaired. The body has the mechanism to repair the damage. That's why we exist on this earth. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We have gone, humanity has gone through much higher levels of radiation. Radiation keeps decreasing as time goes. So... I don't think there is an accumulate effect of, uh, you'd worry about an accumulative effect. Now, the odd cell will not, uh, the question is why sometimes the immune system does not attack a, 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 a wrong combination of the DNA and allows it to mutate and grow. And people don't know that. But the, co the original onset of cause of uh, ca cancers is known that it's breaking the DNA. That's the way it's happening. And that does not accumulate since the immune system corrects it. Thank Am you. I asking your question? Can I ask? Thank you. Can I ask a second one? Certainly okay, the back. second one is you told us about Iran and Brazil, where there are 300 times the factor of what we are exposed to here. Is there any understanding of what it is in the soil or the earth or, or on the beaches that contributes to that uh, astronomical uh, radiation impact? Uh, well, usually the radiation is because of minerals in the in the earth, and in that past they seem to be more. It doesn't have to be precisely distributed. I mean, it was a molten globe, the earth at one time. So when solidified, it was not perfectly distributed every element. So in some areas there seems to be more than others, and that's why it's not only Iran and uh, and uh, Brazil. There, there are in, it's Norway, it is France, it is like if you get up in the mountains where you go to the, the, the granites, where there's granite, it is much more. So th th that's so would the Great Canadian Shield have more have more than we do here? Oh, certainly, yes.
I'm Trevor Page. Um, I wonder if you have any comments about the impact caused by the current pause in by the current what? current pause in um, nuclear using nuclear energy on climate change. Um, I think that mo countries have calculated their energy requirements and their emissions of greenhouse gases based upon the mix mm -hmm. of energy that they currently use. And the global projections have been done on that. Now, as far as I know, it's only Germany that has decided to shut down nuclear energy. All of the other countries seem to be going through a political pause. And as you've mentioned, China's going full steam ahead after making certain safety uh, provisions. But um, do you have any figures at all on what would happen were there to be a significant shutdown in the use of nuclear energy on greenhouse gas emissions? In other words, we're going to be in much more serious shape in terms of well, climate change let, without let, nuclear energy. Would okay. you agree? Or? Well, let, let me tell you. I, I, I'll just think aloud right now so you can see my thinking. If we shut down the nuclear plants, we have to replace the power with something else. That something else has to be hydro, but that's limited. The alternative would be what? Coal, gas, and wind. Many people think wind. That's another big gap that I don't have the time to talk about it. But people don't realize that for every wind farm 100 megawatt, you've got to have a gas fire plant 100 megawatt. By itself, the wind farm does not run. Okay? Because it when it has no power, the gas plant produces the power 100%. When the windmill has power, the gas plant has to run at 50% in order to compensate the wind instability. Every puff of gas, the, power, the voltage goes up and down, and you have to have a steady voltage in the grid. Net result, we produce something like 40% of the CO2 in the atmosphere that a coal fire plant produces for running the windmills. Do we understand that? People don't realize that. And I can't do anything else except to say that that's how it is. I'm, right. not, gonna, I'm not making it. That's how it is. Yeah, but I, yeah, I think if we could come up, and I've not seen any at all, although I haven't researched it, um, not seen any figures on where we would be without nuclear energy. Yes, it's dangerous, but we actually have no alternative, do we? To me, and I'm not really biased, if I could find, like if someone could come tomorrow and develop a solar panel that instead of capturing 13% of the sun's energy, captures 100%. I'll dump the nuclear plant in five seconds because that's my solution. The problem is that by deploying these renewables, that we call them renewables, they're not. The sun and the wind are renewables. The solar panels and the windmills need to be replaced every 20 years, but that's another story. So what we do is if we continue with that, with the renewables, we, we have more, more um, uh, CO2 in the atmosphere.
Thank you. Thank you. We have five minutes left, so uh, perhaps these two questions, and if there's one more, that will be it. Terry Shillington, thank you very much for your presentation. Very interesting. Um, I'm looking at this Let's Go Bananas uh, chart of, um, of uh, different parts of the world, and I have a couple of questions that are somehow related, and you may have addressed it, but I, I, I may have missed it in the course of things. Um, I know cancer rates vary around the world for many reasons. Uh, is there a chorus, is, is there a higher rate of cancer in places like Iran and Brazil where people are, are exposed over their lifetime to a higher radiation rate? Well, this is, this is a good question. I'm glad you, you asked that. No, studies have been made, and there is no higher cancer rate in these places. But I caution you, though, that doesn't answer all the question. What's happening? In an area where there is a high radiation level, the immune system of the people learns to react more actively to the damage. So if you take one of our person from here, and you take him to stay in Iran, you might get more risk. Okay, so it's not that straight. That, that, that leads into my second question. I wonder uh, if the uh, danger and the cause for fear in Fukushima is that this is a sudden wave of radiation for which residents uh, don't have that immunity built up as compared to places like Iran and Brazil. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering. But by your logical question, but by comparison, the fields are so small relative to medical treatments, uh, diagnostics, not repair, that it doesn't justify it. Thank you. It was a very informative session. I've learned a few new things. I'm Deborah LeBeau. Um, my question is, why do we have to look at replacing if we were to shut down nuclear energy? Why are we not looking more to ourselves to, to reduce our extravagant consumption as a society? Okay. And I have okay. another one, but go, you answer that one and I'll... Okay. Now, w reduction is probably a solution, but it is not well thought. Again, it's like a throwing the dice. Why is that? We have a continuously increasing population. So reduction, a savings in an increasing population makes no sense because we don't achieve anything. We still have the same problems. If we reduce our energy, we've got to reduce our reproduction right and on. our growth. Yeah. Um, second question is, um, your term, the... Uh, I'm trying to... Here it is. Where are my notes? I can't remember the term you used, but basically I felt like you were um, accusing people that were left of the nuclear issue of being uninformed. And do you think that that promotes dialogue between you and I by taking that stance about the people that are anti-nuclear? No, I don't take that stance. I have tried to understand people. I don't know if you call yourself anti-nuclear. Uh, I respect people's opinion. The question I'm more interested in is why you're anti-nuclear. Is that you, had, you have done all your homework and you know what you're talking about? Is it because you read Pembina's reports, which I laugh when I read them sometimes? Is it because you're fanatic? Is it because you have had a, a head-on crash with the nuclear industry and you don't like them? This is more interesting to me than what you say. I mean, if you come and you do your homework, I have to respect it, that you put a 
forward a, a solid argument. But if I hear things that, like the, as I said in, in, in the in before in the college, someone approached me, gave me a light bulb, an efficiency light bulb. I'm supposed to laugh. What am I supposed to do? I respect your, your thing. I sympathize, and I wish I had the ability to get everything I ever give it to you. But how can I do it? I mean, I've come here in this podium. It is the third time coming, trying to inform the people. Yet, it goes un, un, uh, under the water, and then I have to come again and say the same thing. I said it before about the windmills, and nobody heard about anything that it needs. It produces just as much CO2 as 40% of a, of a coal fire plant. But people don't seem to realize that. They don't want to hear it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. We are out of time. It's 1.30 right on the nose. Cosmos, I'd like to thank you again for your presentation, and uh, thank you everyone for showing up.